Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast exclusively dedicated to the Commodore Libertadores, the grandest, greatest, most prestigious competition in South American club football. We reviewed match day five in the group stages of the competition. Myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver J. Wilson, and it's pretty late UK time on a Friday. Ollie and, and we were just chatting before the pod and we said, you know, okay, well, let's, let's just smash out a quick half an hour here and wrap it up. But in the pod this week, somehow we kind of stretched it out. We got into tunnels and, and different paths and, and chit-chats about all kinds of stuff. We had Enzo Perez in goal for River Plate this year. We had a Venezuelan side scoring seven for the first time in Commonwealth Libertadores history. We had all the possibilities and permutations as we go into the final match day as well of the group in terms of who's going to qualify for the last 16. Ollie, um, yeah, that was um, that was. Uh, I'm not going to apologise for the length of that pod because it, it was it was thoroughly enjoyable, mate. But it, we seem to um, pick at a few different strands and, and go down a few different avenues. A few tangents is always fun. Mm. Uh, we didn't have every single permutation because we did get a little lost at one moment <laughs> yeah. when uh, there's <laughs> 45 junior... seconds of dead air where like <laughs> Ollie Wilson and I are trying to do mathematics in our head. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's better that we stick with talking about the football rather than. <laughs> Maybe GCSE maths, not my strongest point sure, sure. at this point in my career. But no, it's it's a Libertadores match day five going into the biggest match day of the group stage. Absolutely. There's plenty to fight for next week. All right. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. Got to get back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored... In continental competitions, he has now. Alanga pulls the trigger and delivers on Binacional's Libertadores debut. They lead against Sao Paulo. A racing club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage. I wasn't that impressed initially with like how the week was going until you looked at some of the actual results that took place and we'll get into them but I think uh, you know I, I know on our Twitter account on the Wilson and Windsor podcast Twitter account uh, at Will Win Pod on on Twitter it, I put out a tweet just referencing like four stories that you would never have expected to happen this week and that were still quite sublime so you've still got the unpredictability definitely with some sides already qualified and perhaps resting players and and COVID-19 I think had an impact in one of the game with uh, lineups and stuff as well uh, there there's a there's a bit of a mixed bag and I would say and I, I know I maybe I've got a little more bias with the Copa Sudamericana kind of enjoyment at the moment but I think there might actually be fewer dead rubbers really I don't think it feels that satisfying getting third place in the group unless you're a lowly lowly side sure. in the Libertadores so I think there are some teams that are just going to be annoyed that they've got that third place and going into the Sudamericana. And obviously, finishing third, there's no feeling like a victor. Whereas if you top a Sudamericana group, and most of those are still have two teams in it, and I don't think there are almost any dead rubbers apart from in Gremio's group in that competition going into the last match week. So, so it's quite interesting how, as we were worried about the lack of competition, perhaps with only one going through in the Sudamericana groups, that's working out in the Libertadores it may feel a little flatter going into the last week of group games. There's still plenty to decide, but no one wants to really be deciding third place 
unless perhaps you're like a rentistas that are just enjoying the moment of being in this competition and being on the continental stage. I think it's a really good point. And also, if you're a side that's in the last five to ten years in recent memory you've had a good run in the Libertadores then as you say it's a big disappointment to drop down I'm thinking of uh, IDV or if a Santos or Boca finished third or junior or something like that a side that's gone deep in the tournament recently mm. it is a disappointment um all right let's kick things off with group A Oli Palmeiras three defensives DC of four my god these two sides are getting to know each other pretty well it's usually pretty entertaining as well um Abba Ferreira, as you would understand, because Palmeiras had already qualified coming into match day five, he rested, he rotated. The depth of Palmeiras' squad is, is there for all to see. I mean, they've actually they've lost the game in the end, but there's still loads of quality there. Um, I thought there were there were loads of takeaways really, but but maybe the biggest defence is Dicioli win their first game away from home ever in the Commonwealth Libertadores. Brian Romero with a stooping header to win it late late on, and it just not punctures Palmeiras's aura of invincibility because we know that you can get at them. We saw that last year and, and, and you'll see it throughout the tournament this year. But I thought it was just an interesting little little marker from Defence East DC going into the knockout phase that really anything can happen. And this Palmeiras side isn't necessarily, you know, going to sweep all before it in the knockout stages. Yeah, and I think it also shows, I mean, we've spoken a lot about the Brazilian squads having a lot of depth in this tournament. Understandably so, they, they definitely do. But it also shows that you take away the real core elements, particularly of this Palmeiras side, and it certainly looks a lot more fragile. Defensively, again, I just thought it was all over the shop, which you get, obviously, with a bit more of a mixed bag of a starting eleven than you're perhaps used to in this competition. But you look at the first three goals, and the fact that Defensory Justicia scored four goals in Brazil it is impressive, but the first three, they're all kind of gifts, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, scrappy. Yeah, scrappy, poor marking, simple finishes for the likes of Walter Bell, who is a good finisher, to be honest. Let's give him the credit where it's due. And it's only really the Brian Romero goal right at the death that was a quality ball in that picks him out of the far post. It's a good header to get down to it. It's convincing. It's a really good striker's finish. But I do just worry that you remove the key elements of that Palmeiras defense and suddenly it gets very wobbly and shaky indeed. But then you look at defence at Eustitia, again, you know, they can't seemingly defend under Becca for love nor money. They're <laughs> going to be wonderfully exciting if they can keep going through the knockout stage of this tournament. Now they have qualified uh, and guaranteed second place in the group. If they can keep going, they're going to be a great side to watch. But if you're a defence or Eustitia fan, it must be nerve jangling watching this team every week because they can score, but they're going to concede time and time again. Um, I thought... The uh, the strike from Gustavo Scarpa is an excellent finish for the, the third goal for, for Palmeiras. Uh, Interesting, Ollie, that he's kind of dipped into that second tier of the Palmeiras squad, isn't it? You know, a couple of years ago when we were following him closely, he, he was obviously talented and he still is now. As you say, it's a really nice takedown and smart finish for Palmeiras. But interesting that just such as the quality now that he's just dropped into that second tier, but he's the kind of player that you wouldn't, you could you could certainly see him having a big impact either off the bench, uh, potentially in the knockout you know phase of the tournament. He's just got that little um, in the final third. He's so so dangerous. Yeah, that's as I was going to say from the bench for this Palmeiras side is actually a wonderful place for Gustavo Scarpa to make an impact when there are tired legs on the field because he is a very aggressive player going forward. He he loves to come in from the flanks and pull the trigger rather than looking for service all the time. But he can also be a provider of deliveries into the box. So. 
yeah, I mean, Scarpa giving us a little throwback to some of the quality goals that he scored in 2019's tournament, for sure, with that finish. But it, this was a game without any defence whatsoever. <laughs> it's just end-to-end. It's Again, it's a joy for the neutral to watch. It's It's entertainment. It's two very good sides. I mean, I do really like the fact that it shows it's worth giving the Conmebol Sudamericana winners a place in this tournament as well. It vindicates that move from Conmebol. It, it shows both with IDV and Defensor Justicia in the last two years that these sides that win the Conmebol Sudamericana can go up another level and compete, be competitive in a very difficult group. And the fact that they win in Brazil is mightily impressive. You, know, you can't take that away from them. That's going to be on their record. And as you say, a first away win in the Libertadores. Becca Sese, he's a lively animated character. He's going to have enjoyed that one. <laughs> but isn't it refreshing as well to see a side kind of forge an identity from, I'm not going to say from the off, because of course they competed in it last year and got knocked out in the group stages and dropped into the Sudamericana. But for Defensees DC to, almost, you know, they are a new club on this platform, right? So to immediately have the identity of we're going to outscore you. And it, I'm not saying it's a purpose. I don't think any coach in preseason writes on the whiteboard, we score more than you. I don't think that's a that's an actual thing that, that they try to do. But clearly, Becker has looked at the group of players he's got and uh, and he sees this, the attack as the best form of defence. I want the defence to use DCF Flamengo two legs in the knockout phases. Oh I want that, Oli. I think that's that... a nine all on, on aggregate. We'll get to Flamengo a little bit later <laughs> on. Walter both four goals and two assists, you know, in the group stages. I mean, they've got a real player there. I mean, everyone knows it, of course, and Brian Romero with, with what he did last year in the Sudamericana we've we spoken about before. But um, yeah, defensive these are going to be a lot of fun in the last 16, hopefully. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the other game in, in Group A, Oli, before we... Uh, yeah, but before we move on, of course, Universitaria 3... Independiente del Valle 2 and Independiente del Valle can't now qualify for, for for the for the knockout phase of the of the Libertadores and just um it's just a shame really I mean the top two are the best two they they've gone through but in terms of Independiente del Valle we saw flashes and and glimpses and it just hasn't come and there've been some kind of terrible results and some odd results and I think losing away in Peru to Universitaria is one of those mm. Oh, definitely. This was unexpected. I think despite the difficulties of getting results away from home, we expected particularly in such a pivotal tie. You know, this match week five for Independiente Del Valle was kind of a do or die. Now, I don't think many people expected Defensor Justicia to go to Brazil and get a result. But if they hadn't got the victory, then it gave Independiente Del Valle the opportunity to retake control of their own destiny of keeping second place in their own hands. Instead, it's, um, I mean, it's again, it's a, it's another side that just cannot defend. We've seen it in this tournament so far. They looked defensively solid against the weaker sides and did very well against Gremio in the uh, qualifying stages, of course, defensively. But in this group, their defending has been absolutely abhorrent. The three at the back have no cohesion. I, I feel really sorry for Pacho, but it's not been a good uh, defensive performance for him. Same with Shunka. You know, uh, normally really stable, but there's been no relationship between he and Pacho in that back three. Uh, I've been really disappointed that Landazuri, for instance, this week, unless he was kept out through injury that I didn't hear about, is has not started in this game because he, I thought, started this group stage actually quite well. And Landazuri has been through the last couple of these seasons with Independiente Del Valle, knows the system, knows how they play, but they can't defend. Pejerano is perhaps now, as Joel Richards, friend of the show, 
mentioned a few weeks ago, he is perhaps a liability in the middle of the park mm. and perhaps a hindrance and maybe needs to move on. And maybe the young blood that have been impressive just aren't quite ready there yet. And maybe it's going to take another 12 months. It, it's been a fun watch. They will be competitive in the Sudamericana, but there's no guarantee oh, yes. they're in that now. No, no, absolutely not. And it, we don't want to live in hypotheticals, but if IDV had got a point from this, even if you take away Defensive Stesia's result and say that happened, if they'd have got a point, Ollie, they would have gone into the last game. They still would have needed a big result away at Defensive Stesia, but they would have gone into that match day six, still in with a chance of qualification if they could produce a big performance in 90 minutes. They didn't. They're out. As you say, no guarantee whatsoever that they go into the Sudamericana. Um, Christian Ortiz... Five goals for the tournament. My gosh, isn't it a beautiful little finish, by the way? Shunka kind of slips him in. There's not too many players that are just going to dink it so precociously over the goalkeeper. It's it's really, really cute. The pace of the pass from a centre-back yeah. in that position in the pitch is beautiful. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the dink over the goal. I mean, bo- again, it just highlights both goals in this game. Jon Sanchez's finish coming in from the left flank again. We've Lovely. seen him score it already and he bends it in the far corner their quality in the front line but you've got to build from the back uh, it's boring what Boca do and they would probably love to have an Ortiz at Boca or even a Sanchez alongside Sebastian Vigia but you have to have some solidarity in your back line otherwise you can't afford to play in tournaments like this you'll get picked off and you look at Alex Varela on that first goal for Universitario nobody tracks his slightly delayed run into the 18-yard box Nobody really watches him. All the centre-backs kind of think somebody else has got him. You've got three at the back to pick up one man. Architects of their own downfall, defensively. Mm. And and credit to Universitario because, you know, we've been calling them the whipping boys of this group this whole time, but three points against a very good Ecuadorian side and a side that we've been... I mean, I've definitely been heavy on them. Uh, I know you've kind of hopped on the bandwagon every so often and enjoyed the ride with Independiente del Valle. It's... um. It's it's a great result for them. It's a result they can really hold on to as a, at least something to sign off the tournament with and now puts themselves in a spot to try and get in the Sudamericana. Mm. Group B, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> I, I can almost see you wincing at this result, given your thoughts on Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast about sides getting battered six or seven on this kind of platform. Deportivo Tachira 7, always ready to... It's 4-0 four, it's four at half-time to Deportivo Tachira, the, the Venezuelans. I've got a few notes on this. I mean, it's the first time a Venezuelan side has scored seven goals in a game in Comable Libertadores history. Um, uh, that is no it, surprise, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Not to belittle Venezuelan football, but it has never been the strongest country of producing... Mm, seven. Yeah. Seven goals on this plat. I mean, it's crazy. Is there, I mean, the case for the defence, there isn't one really, but always ready. I mean, to, to, the, the kind of capitulation to go 4-0 down at half-time is um, is absolutely embarrassing, really. I mean, what can you say? A, a few other notes for me were um, uh, Yerson Chacon, the 17-year-old, scored for Deportivo Tachira, certainly one to keep an eye out on um, uh, as we go on. Freddy Gondola, the Panamanian in really good form now, taking his, his chances really well. And and it was just a complete <laughs> a complete rout. 7-2. I, I don't know what happened to Always Ready, but um, it, it, it's very, very hard to justify 
so quickly switching up. You can see a couple of goals early on and to switch off so quickly and for things to collapse, it kind of reminds me of, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say, Oli. Bolivian sides, stop naming your teams the strongest and always ready. <laughs> it, like, it's embarrassing. It's too easy to make jokes. It it makes the whole thing look a bit more of a laughing stock to the casual European fan, for sure. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was chatting with Joel Richards who covered this game on the world feed uh, and and he used the phrase suspiciously bad from always ready like <laughs> like how how bad are you to be this bad what is going on here uh, I'll say no more than that look van der Vieira scores a brilliant goal for the Bolivians it's yeah, a does. it's a cracking volley from the edge of the 18 yard box really well taken um Cavea's strike as well the curling finish to make it 6-1 and I mean, they, after three, it just became icing after icing after icing after... I mean, Deportivo Tachira's cake is going to give people diabetes. There was so much icing on the cake this week. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Look, Tachira have won three games on home soil. And we have always said, you win your games on home soil, you have a chance yep. to go through. It was Flamengo uh, two years ago, Gremio two years ago as well. Both sides struggling, but got results on home soil and picked up draws, the odd draw, to get out of the group stage. It's about getting into the dance. And if you can win and pick up maximum points on home soil, you've always got a chance of getting into the top two in your group. And look, we've belittled Deportivo Tachira during this competition. We bemoaned... Well, we bemoaned their... We put a lot of pressure on Internacional when they lost at Tachira. Or I did. Sure. I may have been very critical. <laughs> and I stand by that criticism, to be honest. Mm. I do think Inter should be a side good enough to go there and get a result rather than getting beaten. Yeah. Um, and I think from what we've seen from Always Ready and the fight that they've had in this group, this was a, such a stark contrast. I, I, I don't know what it is about playing in Venezuela, but teams do not want to go to Tachira. And also, it's just impressive. I mean, I was just looking back then and remembering Deportivo Tachira on match day one, scoring late on to make it 3-2 against Olympia. And then the the victory over Internacional. They've come from 1-0 down, and it was Kobe's penalty four minutes from time. So they kind of not snuck those results. They did well to, to score late goals, but you couldn't really predict it. His seven-goal, um, you know, 7-2 thrashing coming. But it did... And Deportivo Tachira now, we can talk about this a, a little bit later on when we've summed up the Olympia Inter result. But, you know, they're in a really, really good position now to potentially qualify for, for the last 16. And from there, who knows? Wild. Um, it really is. Olympia nil into one. Not too much happened in this game, Ollie. It's all about Yuri Alberto. Substitute comes off the bench, three goals in his last four games. Olympia had a couple of chances, but really there wasn't too much going on. Um... I thought Miguel Ana Ramirez looked really, really relieved when, when Yuri Alberto scored. Mm. We touched on him before, 2021. Looks looks like this year, he, you know, he doesn't he wants to be a real focal point for Inter and he's certainly made his point coming off the bench as well in this one. I mean, if he doesn't score in this game, it's a terrible game from the substitute because mm. he has a big one-on-one with the goalkeeper that he fluffs his lines and puts straight at him after he comes off the bench. He gets himself sent off late on for two yellow cards. Stupid. But he's found the winner and he's he's probably going to be needed in the final group game, but it's going to potentially give him a clean slate for the knockout stages, which I suppose is is useful in terms of the bookings. But Mm. uh, it wasn't impressive from Inter. They got the job done. 
they needed a bit of luck. It's a it's a lovely turn and finish from Yuri Alberto, who is making an impact in this tournament. I don't know. Again, though, I don't want to keep bringing it back, to, but Patrick, when they play with him, they are a completely different side. You look at the games that they've had with Patrick and without Patrick in this midfield, it's chalk and cheese. He runs this show. Uh, Edge Nielsen was solid as an anchor in the midfield for Inter in this game. Uh, Olympia a bit of a letdown. Down to 10 men, Sol Salcedo sent off after about an hour or so. From that point on, you expected Inter to get the job done. Paraguayans have been disappointing, haven't they? Yeah. I I just had this random thought, Ollie. I can envisage a day when Ollie Wilson has a half-hour sit-down interview with Miguel Angel Ramirez. And it's a proper in-depth and you talk, you know, you can really get into the the nitty-gritty of how uh, his identity was reflected in that IDV side and what it was like to be there with the minnows and now his development at Inter. I don't know why, Oli. Either he's going to have to improve his English or you're going to have to improve your Portuguese or Spanish. But I can see it in the, in, in the, in the future, you know, maybe a decade from now, but I can just see your paths crossing i would i, I would love to sit down with miguel angel ramirez yeah. at some point like i think a proper chat yeah i think I, I, there are a lot of questions that i have and a lot of discussions i'd like to have about certain players in in teams <laughs> and stuff for sure um i mean his side dominated this game in terms of creating chances and, and credit to alfredo aguila between the posts for olympia who was the only player for olympia that seemed to put up a, a great fight for 90 minutes and he did his best to keep inter out but they were just too good in the end i mean this is a This is a problem that a lot of teams are going to have with the Brazilian sides. They're just too good over the 90 minutes. They'll eventually get what they need to get the result and they get the result they need. Mm. And everything set up up really nicely in Group B ahead of match day six with uh, no side yet confirming their place in the last 16. That should be really interesting. We'll we'll do a bit of a wrap on that at the end of the pod today. Um, Group C, Mr. Wilson, the strongest two Santos won. Um, <clears throat> listen, after Santos had beaten Boca Juniors 1-0 on match day four, this is a really, really poor result for them. You can throw in La Paz and the altitude as a factor, I suppose, maybe. But really, it's um, it's just really, really poor. And especially what for me was was, was poor was... um. Uh, was the was the red card for was the red cards on twenty four minutes as well for the strongest so they went two 0 up Reynoso and then Willie the Brazilian making it two 0 and okay Santos might have been rattled by then but there was a red card for the strongest so they were down to ten for the vast majority of this game Felipe Jonathan Ollie oh. scores a cracking goal for Santos. I wonder if it, we, we've talked so much about the teenagers in Santos's side because you always look towards really young players and think, oh, wow, this player, that player. Felipe Jonathan, I think his stock is is pretty high right now in, in on the continent. It's just taken a big hit up, I tell you. I mean, it, <laughs> not just the goal. In this no. in this Santos side, it's like Bitcoin. It can go up ten points one day and then drop another ten percent the next. Well, yeah, I was about further. to I was about to mention uh, Bitcoin earlier. You say ten percent, I say fifty percent. It was a <laughs> wild week for crypto. Fair play, anyone that held on to their coins, keep holding. Bitcoin will rise again. It always does. Sorry, carry on. I can see the fingers crossed below the camera wins. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sweating. It's a hell of a week. <laughs> but Felipe Jonathan's strike is awesome. I mean, he's a he's a wonderful player to watch coming forward. I mean, we've waxed lyrical about uh, Barcelona and their fullbacks that love to bomb it up and down the the left and right flank. But Jonathan, you can put Felipe Jonathan, you can put in that 
in that mark as well. And yeah, it's, and it's in, an incredible goal. It's it's not enough though from Santos. I mean, no. we were kind of waxing lyrical. The kids are all right with Santos. Look what they're doing. Four teenagers in the starting 11 today. Only one player or today, this week. Only one player over 30 in that starting 11. A handful of them over 25. It's going to be chalk and cheese when you've got inexperienced players like this. Sometimes it's, it's not going to work and sometimes it really is. And uh, yeah, Bolivia is a difficult place to go. It doesn't excuse that the altitude is negated once you're playing against a side with 10 men, even if they have a two goal advantage <laughs> completely because you can run them ragged. You just have to keep the ball. It really should be. I guess I was so disappointed because, you know, they smashed the strongest 5-0 at home on, what was that, match day three, right? Mm. And I know there was a there was a suggestion of, oh, okay, how good are the strongest really? And But still, they scored five goals. It, it was a good result to kind of kickstart things. Then they, well, it wasn't a fantastic performance, but hey, they beat Boca Juniors 1-0. Not bad at all, without conceding a goal in those two games. And I just thought they'd come into this looking at the rest of the group and thinking, well, Boca is so hit and miss right now. We can actually edge them out of the tournament here. Um, so, yeah, really disappointing result for me. Let's take nothing away from the strongest who've, who've managed to to kind of hang on after that red card. Um, it's one it's one great goal from the Brazilian, from Willie. It's it's a terrible goal, the first one, though. I mean, yeah. Blackburn is... He gets a loose ball that falls to him, a ricochet. There's nobody around him in the box. And his effort on goal is so bad, it slices off the outside of his boot and goes square to Reynoso, who tucks it into an empty net. And there's still not a Santos player around them with like three yards around them. It's like, what is this defense doing? And they allowed so many loose balls to ping around the 18-yard box of Santos defense. It was like nobody really took control and took command. And I think that's what you get when you've got a lot of youngsters in the mix and, and nobody's really grabbing them by the scruff of the neck and saying, just mm. get it clear. You know, I mean, yeah. we don't want to see English football from the 70s just hoof <laughs> it. But sometimes, you know, just put your foot through it and get rid <laughs> If in doubt, kick it out. It's the oldest phrase in football, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, there were lots of goals this week, actually, like in and around the six-yard box, scrappy and off shins and all that kind of thing. Um, the other game in Group C, Ollie at La Bombonera, at La Bombonera, I should say, in Buenos Aires. But a Boca nil, Barcelona nil. Um, Barcelona should have won this game. Damian Diaz could have scored a hat-trick, <laughs> the mm. walking footballer that we all love. He actually did break into kind of a... What's, what's the thing that horses do that's like canter. a gallop? Ca- yeah, it was almost a canter, although semi-canter. But, I mean, I could watch this football all day, Damian Diaz. Could have scored a hat-trick. Um, Esteban Andrada back in the Boca side after what feels like <laughs> absolutely ages. I know he, he had COVID, but then was kept testing positive even though he said he was okay and then he was kind of stuck in Ecuador for a while because they've got a positive test there really messy I also saw Ali this week the name has escaped me I've just got written down because I remember it but I can't remember the name he was very strongly linked to a side in Mexico Andrada and Boca wanting to hold on for for around about 10 million US dollars which uh fair play to kind of stick your stall out that's a lot of money for an Argentinian club you know I mean just kind of the rumors but yeah you think Nacho Fernandez has gone for five million quid Mm. to uh, Atletico Mineiro, you know, a ten keeper, million though. US dollars. For yeah, a... but Andrada, not too many better than him in South American club football. Yeah, we that's might get true. another decade out of him. I, I get it. What's that? Six, six and a bit million quid. You but, wouldn't say yeah. he's like Mister Reliable. Like I, I you know, over the I last remember the two Armani and Andrada. Years, yeah, yeah. Couple of moments where you're just like, eh, not great with that collection. Uh, not commanding <laughs> Isn't that just being the area. A goalkeeper though. Yeah, yeah, and I know it's easy to be hypercritical on mistakes, but 
Mm. You, I would, I'd never say that. Like, oh, you he's talk an about Bocca's defense so much. Yeah, but you sort of talk about Bocca's defense so much. And, yeah, they, they yeah, keep the him two squeaky centre backs. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Andrade can can stay at the club. Lisandro Lopez misses an absolute sitter, by the way, for Boca Juniors, which I can't. I think it's uh, Vija clips it into his mm. into the penalty. Open and Lisandro Lopez it is basically, and like I don't care if you're a centre back or a striker, you've got to put that away. Oli, why haven't they signed a striker again? Why have Boca Juniors, arguably the biggest club on the continent, gone two years? Like you and I shouldn't be able to identify a problem at a football club and talk about it for two years without it being fixed, right? We we don't know. We're not scouts. We're not analysts. We're not technicians. We're not coaches. Like, how is it possible that probably in pod number one, we said, okay, this is our first look at Boca and they should probably buy a strike, you know? And how is it a pod 38 <laughs> two years later, it's still the same thing? Like, ha- ha- what's, what's happened there? It's... Uh... It's the romanticism of Boca Juniors, as I mentioned and went on my rant last week about how, no, no, it's fine. We'll bring somebody through. We've got Vija. We've got I mean, Carlito. they were never getting Cavani. I, I text Nico this week and said, mate, or last week and said, you, uh, Nico, the one Boca of our friends fan. who's an, a Boca fan, Nico the Boca fan, who actually made an appearance, didn't he, in one of the earlier pods. Yeah. And I said, mate, you need to buy a striker. And he sent me a message back um, just being like, yeah, well, you know, we were pretty close to getting Cavani. I was like, were you, mate? <laughs> Like, were you close to getting Cavani or were you not close at all to getting Cavani? It's, it's, you know. Maybe they were I hoping also... Daniele De Rossi would turn out to be <laughs> this marauding defensive midfielder stroke pivotal frontman. Remember when he's got one goal in the cup, Ollie? Yeah, in his that, first that game. That was good. And was they lost. Yeah, and they lost. <laughs> yeah, lost <two laughs> and then he played four more games after that. And that was his career at Boca. Him arriving at the airport was... <laughs> I think he got like the early flight in from Rome or something. It was, it was like 3 or 4am um, when he arrived. And, yeah, some of those scenes from the Rossi at the airport. Anyway, we, we digress. Um, I tell you what, Oli. Boca still should qualify from the group going into match day six. But the way they're playing, mate, haven't scored in the last three games. Didn't score against Barcelona. Didn't score against Santos. Didn't score against Barcelona. You know, it's almost like they need a striker, is... Windsor. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Cavani's probably going to come in 2025. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 there's, there's nothing about this Boca side that, yes, they, you know, I love the two centre-backs, goalkeeper's solid, Vija's good, but there's there's nothing that makes you... It wouldn't be a surprise if they got knocked out of the combo Libertadores. No, not at all. And look, credit to Barcelona for getting a, a point on the road and getting themselves qualified. That's... Mm. They they were very good in the second half. I thought Boca were more of a threat in the first half at times. Uh, then they have the miss of Lisandro Lopez. And after that, they just kind of fell apart, really. Uh, Carlos Garces was causing problems. He nearly has one of those wonderful heel flick finishes at the near post. And, you know, it's a really good save by Andrade to, to keep it out. But, yeah, it, Barcelona have been the best side in this group. And getting a point on the road and getting qualified first, full credit Are to they- Ollie, are they the club that Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast supports going into the knockout phase? Just because we we've touched on the dominance of Brazilian and Argentine sides, and you know it would just be great to see a, a, a side that is not from one of those two nations go deep in the tournament. And it looks like Barcelona, I was going to say, might be our best bet. It might be our only bet, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm willing to stick the uh, the flag in Ecuadorian soil once me again. Too. Me and, too. Uh, and get on the Barcelona bandwagon. 
there's enough to like, isn't there? I mean, in Garces, they've got a striker who can score goals. In Darmin Diaz, they've got an architect. In Martinez, they've got a creator. Pinatares is a good goalkeeper. They've got a good, good player. holding midfielder. And then in Castillo and Pineda, they've got two of the more entertaining fullbacks to watch in the whole competition. The most underrated fullback on the continent, potentially, in Pineda, yeah. Um, yeah, so so who knows? Barcelona qualified and, and we'll see. Group D in the 2021 Commonwealth Libertadores. There's only one place to start, Ollie, and it's um, <laughs> River Plate 2, Santa Fe 1. No clean sheet for Enzo Perez. So... <laughs> I mean, okay, so, so should we give the backstory a little bit? Yeah, it's I'll let you run the yeah. uh, the backstory. Well, I mean, so, COVID outbreak at River Plate. It actually goes back a little bit before that. Gachado and River had an opportunity. Commonwealth gave them an opportunity to, to register a 50-man squad because of COVID, right? So these all these squads had the opportunity to register 50 players. Gachado said no at the time. You know, um, way back when, before the tournament, he said, no, look, if we have to have it, it, 35 players is enough. If we have to have 50, we shouldn't be playing football. Those were his quotes. COVID outbreak. Um, all their keepers got COVID. And they luckily, they do have 11 players. They had 11 players who could play. So, in this game, match day five, River Plate against Santa Fe at the Monumental in Buenos Aires. River had 11 players. But they didn't have a goalkeeper, so Enzo Perez, who is normally a midfielder, played in goal. No substitutes, 11 men for River. It, does that kind of clear it up, Oli, as a kind of base layer of what happened and backstory? Yeah, I'd just like to say to Marcelo Gachado, as uh, as a commentator, not having a 50-man squad, really appreciate the lack of <laughs> redu- the reduced prep that that would provide for anybody broadcasting on any River game in the Libertadores this year. I think they can yeah. all be very grateful that Marcelo Gachado took that action. Yeah. No subs, 11 men, no keeper, midfielder in goal. In, I will say, a delight to once again see a football story from the Copa Libertadores transcend South America a bit. Mm. There were a number of people, albeit you know, a fair few of them were football journalists that you know we're friends with and colleagues with, but it did break through the South American bubble slightly when people were like, this is the Champions League equivalent of South America and one of the biggest sides and grandest sides in the competition is playing like this, is having no subs and sticking a midfielder in goal. And then and then the 90 minutes take place. <laughs> yeah. And, and Okay, listen, it's an astonishing story. Where to start with? Well, let's, let's start with talking about the opening six minutes of the match. Uh, Fabrizio Angeleri scores for River after three minutes to to give to give the side the lead, and I think Santa Fe are just kind of shocked about what's happening at this point. So River go one up, and then Julian Alvarez, twenty-one year old River forward, who's been bubbling under the surface for the last couple of years. People talking about people say really big things are expected of him, and Ollie, we haven't seen a moment from him. I don't think. I mean, we've seen goals, we've seen little passages. We've seen a lot of his talent, but I don't think what, what I'm saying is we haven't seen a moment or hadn't seen a moment from him until this second goal against Santa Fe. It is one of the best two-touch finishes you'll see in the competition all year. It's so, so easy on the eye. And what I love about it, Ollie, is when the ball comes over on his left-hand side, he doesn't 
ever look where the goal is. It's so instinctive, mm. real appreciation of the kind of um, of the geometry of the football pitch. And he just takes one touch, bang, pings it, top corner. Beautiful goal, River 2-0 up after six minutes. Uh, not to use like an American sports analogy too often in these podcasts, but it's a real case, that goal of grip it and rip it because he knows exactly where he wants to put it. And it's, as you say, it's an instinctive two touch. And it's such a beautiful amount of violence that goes into that mm. shot because it's just, keeper's got absolutely no chance. Even if they get anywhere near it, gets a hand to it. He's going back into the goal with it. It's, it's, a, it's all powerful. And particularly after like Girotti's been usurping him slightly in the front line in the last two games in the Libertadores and has looked oh he's a tasty another tasty youngster coming through in the front line you know this is a this is something for Alvarez to kind of have to maybe think about this is a this is a wonderful strike but the importance for River of being 2-0 up after six minutes I mean I can only assume that Independiente Santa Fe have turned up in Argentina and gone well we're not playing are we like we're not they're not going to allow this or somebody else is going to come up with a negative test. Take a rest, boys. Get off the plane. Oh, have a look around the ground. We ain't playing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And they're completely unprepared for the opening salvo that, that River put on them. I mean, the, the first goal is an embarrassing one to concede. It's terrible keeping, terrible defending again. It's, it's a gift for Angulari. And then the second one hits you and you're, and you're suddenly like, oh, Jeez, we're playing against eleven men, and <laughs> they're two 0 two nil. Well, up. Okay, well, well okay. Let, let's just let's just pause for a second here. It's very impressive, obviously, complete chaos at River to even be put in that situation. But it was still only ten outfield players against ten outfield players, and River are four-time champions, incredible success in recent years, better quality, albeit you know loads of their players are out with COVID, so there was resting and rotating. But there's still lots of quality in that in that side, and, and lots of young talent. So I. In many ways, I don't think it's necessarily like just a deeply embarrassing result for Santa Fe because it's it's. Um, I, th- I think what was slightly embarrassing was how little they tested Enzo Perez in goal. And I love the strike. I think it's Palacios from Santa Fe strikes after kind of half an hour. They haven't tested him at all. And you can see Palacios thinking, this is ridiculous. Like he's a midfielder <laughs> in goal. So he shoots from about 40 yards. And the best thing is, because he's obviously Enzo Perez isn't the goalkeeper. So he's not quite sure where his posts are. So he's, I mean, the strike's going five yards wide of the left upright. And Enzo Perez is scrambling across and just kind of pushes it wide. And you can imagine if there were fans in the ground, they'd be like, yeah. Like, and it's just so unnecessary. Even like on a five-a-side pitch, if your mate was having a spelling goal, you'd be disappointed that Enzo Perez was like, just pushed it behind for yeah, a corner. What have, you, what have you touched it for, mate? You're an just, idiot. Yeah, like someone else going sticks. Like it was a bit ridiculous. Um, but anyway, um, Enzo Perez, I mean, listen, Ollie, he put his hand up and said, I'll have a bashing goal. And for that, I suppose, is um, commendable. Uh, he didn't keep a clean sheet though, mate. I knew so, you were gonna. I knew you were gonna take this well, attitude <laughs> to it. Well, it's not a clean sheet, is it? So uh, it's not great. Look, San- Santa Fe had five attempts on target, right? Twenty-two attempts overall. If you can only muster five attempts on target out of twenty-two, you're a bad shooting side. But even bad teams against a non-goalkeeping goalkeeper are gonna be able to sneak ones through. And again, it's not. It's not a pretty goal. It's not a, a stylish goal. There's no class to the finish or anything like that. It's just a. It's what you expect when a defence is 
I mean, you could tell by the way at times that River defence was just kind of mob-handed swarming. They didn't necessarily have a lot of faith in Enzo Perez's ability to deal with certain situations and in, in various moments. And it, it, it all got a bit convoluted in the, uh, in the eventual Santa Fe goal that came. But I do think, I do think it's embarrassing. And I think it's embarrassing more than anything else for Santa Fe because of the the media narrative around it. Again, because it's a game... I saw a, a tweet from uh, Peter Coates saying everybody in South America is gathered around a television to watch River Plate tonight and I'm doing the Sport Juan Cayo game. And because he was gutted that he wasn't watching what was quite just a remarkable moment in Libertadores history. Sure. We may never see a team turn up with a outfield player in goal and no substitutes ever again in Libertadores competitions. And so then to lose that yeah. game, you will always be known as the side sure. that lost. And you could see from the joy on Gachado's face at full time as well that that result hey, did mean a, a fair bit. I was just about to talk about, yeah, Gashada's reaction. and Well, first of all, Enzo Perez was mobbed as if he saved the winning penalty in, in a World <laughs> Cup final, which I really rate. Uh, yeah, I mean, Marcelo Gashada, as you say, he was clearly emotional at the end. It, he's been there and done that much. But the uniqueness of that situation, when you put it like that, you know, so there's so much football being played now. We were talking about this off pod. There's just so many football matches being played. But... To be able to say we will never see that or we will probably never see that again. I think you can say never, you know, because certain things will be put in place. I think now that you'll always have like a 50 man squad, blah, blah, blah. To say that you'll never see that again is um is big. And yeah, what can you say? And also, like, it's easy to view this as an isolated game and talk about it in isolation. River needed the points, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like they really needed to win. In, it was a get out of jail free card if they'd lost. Yeah. In that sense, Gachado is playing with like a well. Oh, look what happened. Look what we had to deal with. How can we be expected to compete? At trying to get another Libertadores crown when things like this happen. Mm. So, he that would have been we're in the Sudamericana if things go wrong in the last two match weeks, including the week just gone. Like, that's that's the excuse. and it might still be more on that later because it's still it's still pretty wide open. The the other game in in Group D, Ollie's really thrown things wide open. Fluminense mm. 1, Junior 2. And really, well, Fluminense just had chances. Kaiki. Misses early on. No, you're supposed to say the man destined for Matt. I'm not, <laughs> uh, we're not, we're not, we're dropping that moniker. We're calling him Kaiki, the man that misses opportunities <laughs> this week. The man that misses against you. He had a great chance, didn't score. And then Fred has... The kind of chance is a double chance, really, but he has the kind of chance that. Sorry, are you hearing that? It's it's the sound of City tearing up Kaiki's contract. That's what it is after. <laughs> gentle comedy. I thought you were about. To, I was absolutely convinced Wilson was saying there's a tech issue with him. Yeah, for, um, so Kaiki missed a great chance. Fred missed a great chance, and it. The Fred one annoyed me more because it's just the kind of opportunity he's been smashing home, like the fox in the box type striker. And I think he was almost surprised that he missed it. Um, and then, yeah, and Junior scored a couple of goals and uh, Hernandez, the Uruguayan's goal late on for Fluminense, didn't prove to be enough. So Junior pick up all three points and put themselves in a really, really good position in, in Group D, actually going into the final rounds of, of group games. 
I mean, Junior were really up for this in Brazil and credit to them for saying, like, we're going to go there and we're going to, to get at them. Uh, I, I love that they brought in Edwin Cetere, mm. uh, who I was really impressed with last year. I've been waiting to see more of him in this competition. And not only do they bring him in, but he scores a really nice finish for their second from, from distance. Uh, it's a great header from Valencia for the first as well. You know, it's a, one of those powerful forward inside the 18-yard box, ju- out jumps about three players at the near post and nods it home. The best moment of this that sums up Junior's night, though, is Sebastian Vieira trying to lob Marcos Felipe. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, how often do you see, not since the days of Schilleveh in South American mm. football, have I seen a goalkeeper with the balls from a, a free kick from way past midfield being like, ah. I've spotted something here. I'm going to have a go. And he's close to doing it as well. He's not far off. Very close to doing it. Yeah, it's a free kick kind of just inside the opposition half. And I don't know what he's doing up there. But he just, he sort of runs forward. He wants to take it. And it's really, yeah, I mean, it's perfect. He clips it perfectly. It's dropping underneath the crossbar. It's a great moment, that. Really great moment. Thanks for reminding me of that, Ollie. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, that was, I mean, aside from the wasted chances from Fluminense, all all of their front three. Uh, missed opportunities early on Luis Enrique as well there was a, a moment of madness where there's about 60 seconds to 45 seconds of Luis Enrique has the chance then Fred has the chance and, mm. and they can't finish it and I'm not saying it's really easy to look at those moments retrospectively and be like oh was that the night was that the moment where you thought this isn't their night but they did struggle early to convert the opportunities that were given to them and Junior kind of settled into it and then puffed their their chests out a bit and kind of just got going and got at them. Yeah, I was really impressed. Good to see the Colombians again living up to to some of the hype that we've uh, we've expected of them. Mm. And just for Junior to you know get their first it was their first win in the group stages, but still to be able to go into match day six with 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 a good chance of qualifying. Um, certainly interesting. Group E. Let's go with Sao Paulo nil, Racing one. Um, yeah, Racing win for the first time. I think, did you message me this, Ollie? It was, it was a good start doing the rounds about Racing winning for the first time in Brazil in Commodore Libertadores history. Mm-hmm. Great yeah, start. That's that. the one. Um, yeah, and uh, it was Novicio who scored, Slofera flighting the ball in. And to be honest, Racing were just the better side. San Paulo didn't really show up from what I saw. Racing created most of the chances, and, and they were impressive. Racing were a bit like uh, Atletico Madrid when they used to play Barcelona, when Barca were in their pomp. And Racing was smothering the middle of the park, particularly in the second half when they were defending their lead and uh, and suffocating Sao Paulo. And, and they really struggled. They you know, tried to provide service from the flank. Sao Paulo, like we've seen them get down, up and down, particularly the right flank a lot of the time in this Libertadores. And they weren't able to do it. I thought Arias produced some fine saves on the evening. He has a wonderful save in the first half where he beats the ball away with his legs and kind of just makes himself big enough, kind of goes the Great wrong double, way, but yeah. sticks a leg out. Yeah. Um, but look, Racing took their opportunity. I mean, Orban has a, a header that's ruled out for offside and a very close offside call as well. And they could have been 2 0 up at that point. Novillo, the 23 year old, is unmarked for his goal. You've got to point a finger at Sao Paulo. And I remember saying last week, like, I'd just gone off Sao Paulo a little in the last couple of weeks after the first two weeks of the group stage. I was really high on them and really enjoyed the football they were playing. I just thought maybe, actually, it's not quite a finished article yet. Um, and I thought Racing were really good, really well organised. There's something quite nice about Racing because they're not a boring team to watch. You think kind of all smothering defensively that that it, that doesn't tell the whole story. They're quite an entertaining side still to to view. 
uh, maybe there's the affinity as well because I know like I had such a good time when we went to see them, even though they got spanked what seven mm. two by by River when we mm. saw them, and the fans were awesome. And the, yeah, there's something just about those light blue and white stripes that's entertaining. Sure. Yeah, and they were very good. They they certainly deserved a victory in Brazil, very much so, and prime position now. Absolutely. I haven't conceded now since match day two, since I think seven minutes into the second half of match day two. So we're match day three, four and five without conceding a goal. Um, the other game in Group E, Sporting Cristal 2, Rentistas nil. Um, Sporting Cristal had only scored one goal in the opening four games in this group, but they scored a couple of absolute crackers. Hoboke's goal is really nice after 41 minutes and then Tavra... Um, with a very smart finish on on 67 rentistas kind of the it started off on match day one with very nearly beating Racing at home I'm not going to say had they done that they would have gone on to, mm-hmm. to 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 lift the trophy probably not but at the same time it, it was kind of a moment on their debut in the competition they were a minute or so away from getting all three points uh, and since then we, we we've we've been pretty I think we've been not generous because they're a tiny side making their debut in the competition, but we've been quite kind to them at times, but this wasn't a very good result. And I just think it sh- probably shows Rentistas' level. Yeah, it's the first time that we haven't been entertained by Rentistas despite their loss. That was the trouble, I think, with this game. I, I was gutted that Washington Caruso didn't pick up a goal. He sets up the first one uh, for Hoburg, but uh, I keep wanting to call Hoiberg as well. Like, Southampton, where, where did yeah. he end up? I can't remember now. Did he go to Spurs? I can't remember, but Hobo, yeah. And yeah, Hobie, yeah. Um, But Caruso sets up that one. So I was like, well, okay, we'll give him that. He's wasted so many chances. Good, he's feeding them off now. It's a cracking finish, as you say. It's the build-up play for the second goal that really impressed me from Sporting Cristal. Everything kind of started to click in the final third for them. It's lovely interplay around the 18-yard box before Tavara tucks it home. And yeah, you know, it's it's simple to say it's a good win. It's probably one that Sporting Cristal fans would have expected against a you know such a young blood in Libertadores kind of history in Rentistas. I think it's what either of these sides is going to be interesting to watch in the Sudamericana. Group F. Nacional one, Universidad Católica nil. Um, oh, sorry, I just had a half an eye on Argentinas Juniors because I've got plenty of notes on them. But yeah, um, let's... Um, uh, yeah, sorry, Oli. Yeah, Nacional won uh, Universidad Católica nil. There, not too much happened in this game, really. Brian Ocampo, the youngster, scores a lovely goal, full of confidence. The defence just kind of melts away in front of him and he's happy to take it on. And he, he, he's pleased he did because it, it's a lovely goal. Nacional have really kind of disappointed us in the tournament this year. So it's nice to see them get a you know a good moment and a good goal and something to take away it's a wonderful finish from brian george way Ocampo, going almost <laughs> two-thirds of the pitch with it and then tucking it away from the edge of the area so it's, it's a brilliant goal it's about the best thing we've seen it well it definitely is the best thing we've seen from nacional in this whole tournament uh, catolica we spoke about uh montes off the bench and how he reignited catolica the other week so why do you not play him I don't understand. If somebody gets a hot hand and really invigorates a side like that, why would you not give... Because they were better when he came on. He helped them at least add some more energy. But by then, they were so... They were like in cement. They were so sluggish and dull. 
in almost everything they did. Nacional, on the other hand, they have the one moment of, of quality and then just kind of were like, right, well, let's let's hold on. You know, Saavedra hits the bar, in fairness, for, for Catolica, which, okay, yeah, you know, that's a good chance. Lescano has, a, has an easy header that he misses and still hasn't scored in the Commonwealth Libertadores in his career. But I do think you have to, if you're a Catolica fan, you have to want Montes in the starting 11, at least in the Libertadores, because he takes to this competition at the moment like a duck to water. It's awesome. And they really missed out on not having him in the full 90 minutes. And they've let sides back in this, Ollie, with that result. You know, they've let they've let Atletico Nacional and Nacional, who've both been pretty poor. We can talk about Argentina Juniors' um, victory over Atletico Nacional in just a moment. But, I mean, the bottom two sides at the moment in the group have been really, really poor. They've only picked up one, one win each now. And yet they go into match day six still with a chance of progressing. And listen, half of that is due to Argentina Juniors, who've just been him kind of, fabulous form and have been the, the real surprise package in many ways in the Libertadores this year. So let's talk about them. Argentinos Juniors won Atletico Nacional nil. They were completely dominant as well. Um, you know, they, they they lost on match day four, but prior to that, picked up three wins from three, drawn plenty of plaudits in the process. First half, it was chances for Cabrera, Florentine, Gomez, Avalos. Um, and they were just they were just really, really dominant, I thought, in the first and second half, but especially the first half, they were very impressive. Atletico Nacional came back into it slightly, um, and then right on 90 minutes, uh, 34-year-old substitute Emmanuel Herrera uh, pops up to make it to make it 1-0, and, and I thought the celebrations were great as well from the Argentinos Juniors bench and the players, and, and they must know they're, they're riding a bit of a wave here. And wouldn't have expected picking up four wins from five in the group stages, Oli. Not at all. Nobody did. There wasn't a single soul, as we said last week, that expected them to. And and the fact that they could have uh, qualified last week with a victory and yeah. got themselves already in it, I think, as I think we said last week, was kind of sad that they didn't go almost perfect in this group because that would have been a good fu to the critics from this side. And they should have won by a lot more. I mean, uh, Quintana between the posts for Atletico Nacional was so busy throughout the evening. Uh, did an excellent job again. You know, you talk about goalkeepers keeping sides in the in games in in the Libertadores. This evening was a perfect example of that because he had very little help around him and very little going forward from Atletico Nacional as well. And you thought if they escape with a point, like that man is player of the match and then some. Um, I mean, the only chance they had was a, a free kick late on by the substitute Moreno that hits the post. But aside from that, they created absolutely nothing going forward, which again, we gave them the big kind of the big up in that final round of the qualifying rounds before the group stage. Atletico Nacional haven't lived up to the kind of reputation and the the big hoorah that we gave them before the tournament. Argentinos Juniors are just a good, great side to watch. Really fun, create chances. They are more defensively solid than others. I think they're not so kind of cavalier as just a gung-ho go forward we're going to score more than you it's definitely not that sort of attitude and they're lucky that they're in a group where they haven't had to play really high quality opposition or opposition that's actually played a lot lower than everybody else expected but they've made the most of their opportunity full credit to them group g flamengo to liga de quito to um, not quite in the same way as Palmeiras resting and rotating, but Rogerio Senni does rest and rotate for Flamengo. Nonetheless, I mean, the likes of Gabi Gol started, um, Gerson, William Arau, Everton Hibero. Uh, so, so there's plenty of quality out there for Flamengo. 
Um, this this game in many ways was was defined, I think, by William Arouse red card on good job he started isn't it 15 minutes yeah i don't actually basically he lifts his boot up he lifts it's a high boot to the face and it is a red card but it's one of those where i actually don't think he i genuinely don't think he means it it's not like a oh, who's the dutch lad on chabby alonso in the world cup final can't remember uh, van bommel. Oh, no, was it yeah mark van bommel and uh, went studs yeah and uh, it, but it, this was actually accidental because his boot is high, and I do think he's going for the ball. And I've, I've got a soft spot for William Arouse. I don't know why he just loves um loves a late goal from corners. But uh, anyway, so so William Arouse sent off, which obviously made Flamengo's job a lot more difficult. Pedro does well inside the penalty area on 32 minutes to give Flamengo the lead. It's kind of really good balance and then snatches and scratches a shot away when you wouldn't really expect him to. Uh, Franklin Guerra. Makes it one apiece. And then Johan Julio scores a lovely goal for Liga de Quito on 60 minutes to make it 2-1. And then Flamengo, they've made a habit of this. And they they like a late goal. And they like a late mm. set-piece goal. There's some height in that side. Um, and this time it was Gustavo Enrique who rises to, to score inside the penalty box to make it to a piece. Scores on 88 minutes. And, and Flamengo kind of pinch a point from the game. They scored two or more goals in their last five games in the... In the Commonwealth Libertadores, the, the free scoring, we've spoken about that a lot before. I just wonder if that late, the knack of late goals, Oli, is uh, it's going to serve them well in the knockout stages. I think it serves any club well if you have that never-say-die attitude, isn't it? It's something that managers talk about time and time again. It's something that infuriates opposition fans more than anything else. The fact that you can never kill this side off unless... The margin is two goals in the 86th, 87th minute. And it's rarely that with Flamengo because they always score. They just always score. They always get two. Um, but I think Liga de Quito should have come away with all three points, not just because of playing against 10 men. I think the kind of slightly erratic, scrambled nature of the winner, it it, it sums up Equalizer, a side that yeah. had to dig really... Uh, Equalizer, sorry, yeah. I mean, it feels like a winner, I'm sure, for, sure, for yeah. Flamengo. Um, it feels like a goal that's scored by a side that has had to dig their fingernails into the dirt and drag themselves back into the game to get a point. Uh, Liga de Quito played very well, made use of the extra man. I love a, we were talking about a chested finish last week from Racing that was disallowed. I love a chested assist from Amarilla. Very nice. Just n- knocking it down to Julio for the second goal for Liga de Quito. And again, it's it's a game... You mentioned Flamengo rested and rotated a number of players. It didn't shine as bright, not to be expected when you've got that many rotating around and you're down to 10 men after 15 minutes. But it's it's worrying for other clubs that they can get a result like that, especially on home soil. You know, we spoke about, and we've spoken about that fateful night that really turned around their Libertadores against Emelec in the in the Maracanã when they were two goals down and second half came back 2-2, two, two, go through on penalties. It's a, it's a side that's never done. And in the American R, on home soil, you can't afford to go there and not put your foot on the neck and finish them if you get the opportunity mm. because they will punish you and they will get something out of it and they'll probably get what they need to get. It's yeah. a it's a warning shot for sure, I think, this game. Yeah. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what's and ifs and 
and calculations, but if Liga de Quito pinch all three points, Oli, they go into match day six still with a chance of, of qualifying for, for, for the last 16, which they, which they haven't done so because of the other result in Group G, which was Vela Sarsfield 2, Union La Calera 1. Um, it was an explosive start in this one. Uh, Christian Tarragona scores after two minutes. And I just love that the, the camera cuts immediately to uh, Maurizio Pellegrino, the, the Vélez boss. And he just doesn't move an inch. Doesn't move a muscle. Poker face. Love that. Really calm. Um, and uh, yeah, on five minutes, Union La Calera equalised through Jesson Vargas, 23-year-old. Uh, Vélez, well, Thiago Armada actually had a really good opportunity just prior to that. And then Thiago Armada scores to make it 2-1, which, which ultimately is the, the winning goal. There's been a lot of talk about Thiago Almada and how good he is and, and his quality as a creator and as an architect. But what he's shown, I think, with his... Um, he's got a couple of goals in the group stages now. He can score as well. He's a finisher as well. And Vélez, well, they know they've got a real hot property on their hands. But as ever is the case, you just want to desperately try and hold on to him for another year, another two years, another three years, if they possibly can. Because he's the kind of player, Ollie, you can build a successful side around, no doubt about that. And you mentioned about a finisher, that right place at the right time, coming steaming into the six-yard mm. box. It's not a, it's not an emphatic finish, but it kind of is because it's drilled in ball with a f- almost racing onto it f- attacker and foot through it, leaves no doubt, thumps it home. Yeah, I, I really enjoy. I mean, I really have enjoyed over the last two years watching him play, develop, grow. Uh, I don't want to get overhyped on people because it's really easy, isn't it, for us to get sucked in? Like, oh, he's so good. What a what a young twenty year old. This, I, I honestly think Lucas Janssen needs to get a lot more credit in this Vélez side. Okay, because the number of goals that he's creating and the strings that he's pulling to carve out sh- scoring opportunities for this Vélez side, and they were. Again, so wonderfully attacking. It's another Argentinian side that play without very, very much fear at all. And Pellegrino probably has looked at this and kind of gone, well, look, this is this is the cards we've been dealt. We might as well go out and enjoy the football we play. A bit like Argentina's juniors, except I would argue this is a higher caliber of group that Vélez Sarsfield are in and have more than deserved their birth into the knockout stages now. An excellent victory. Um two very good goals very well taken goals and and they I would say on the balance of play in the group stage so far they have been a better side than Liga de Quito to watch they will be a tougher side for teams to take on agree than Liga de Quito the best two are going through and I to be honest I think Vélez are better by a fair margin than the other two sides in this group by quite a way Group H as we wrap things up in terms of match day five um Sarah Porteño nil, Atletico Minero one. I mainly just want to talk about Kuka running down the touchline. No, he, we enjoyed him so much as a Santos boss. He really flourished towards the back end of that tournament. Okay, maybe there was just more cameras on him then, Ollie, and we were more kind of lasered into exactly what he was doing. But I don't know, the, the, the flamboyant T-shirts and the, the crazy dress sense and all of that, really, really um, enjoyed watching him on the touchline for Santos. And when Atletico Minero scores and Keno scores, in stoppage time to make it 1-0 and take and give the Brazilians all three points away from home in Asuncion. Kuka just sets off on this Jose Mourinho against Manchester United run down the touchline. But when Jose Mourinho did it, he was early 40s, looked like a movie star, 
you know, remember how good looking Joe Zanini had the was coat before, like, like Neo in the, the Matrix. Coat, like, I mean, he a real, and it was. There's obviously been figures like him before um, in the game, but it was such an iconic moment. And, and I'm not comparing Kuka's <laughs> run down the touchline in Atletico Mineiro's victory over Sarah Portenio on Match Day Five in Group H, but it was equal levels of joy. In fact, more joy because I think Kuka's got less of a. <laughs> less of a kind of ego on him than Jose Mourinho anyway it was great Atletico Mineta I've said this before Lee. I like this side I think there's a there's a there's a togetherness about them um, Keno off the bench to score nothing much happened in the game really Guillermo Arana had a chance for Atletico Mineta Arzamendia with a free kick for Sarah Porteño actually Arzamendia n- nearly put through his own net um, yeah it wasn't too much to, to, to say really except for all three points for Atletico Mineta and, and Sarah Porteño just kind of well, I mean, they've been okay in, in Group H, but this is a disappointing result for them. It's probably their best performance that I've seen, I think. Oof, from, I, Sarah, I, from Sarah Patenio, yeah. Mm. I think I think that this is the performance that I've seen them create the, the highest calibre of chances in front of goal. And there weren't many of them, but at least they looked like they could be an attacking threat, which I haven't said about them for the majority of this tournament so far. And the fact that Atletico Mineiro need a deflected winner in stoppage time, mm. I, I, the Paraguayans will probably feel hard done by to have not got a point out of this game. I think they'll be really dejected. For the Brazilians, this is another case of, well, they'll just keep going and going. They've got a solid enough squad to create enough chances to give them the opportunity to get a late winner. There are some sides that have it and some sides that don't. And I think a lot of these Brazilian sides have on the continent that never-say-die attitude. And that... <sighs> That moment for Atletico Mineiro right at the end, Oli. I mean, if Cerro take a point from the game, they're qualified for the for the last sixteen of the of the um, of the Commonwealth Libertadores. So it's that actually that goal has suddenly thrown Cerro Porteño's probably mentality going into match day six into a completely different sphere, really, with with who they've got to play. Let, let's um, let's talk about the other game then: America de Cali three, Deportivo La Guaira. One, America de Cali was just the, the best side throughout, really. Adrian Ramos scores a brace from the penalty spot on 21 minutes. Scores on 72 as well. Santiago Moreno scores for America de Cali. And Charlie Ortiz scores for Deportivo La Guaira. Um, this was a fairly straightforward game, I thought, for America de Cali. Uh, they're always comfortable. It's almost, a, it's a, I mean, it's a huge result for them. It's, it's, it's a result that, I think they would have expected giving La Guaira's terrible performance in Group H so far in the competition. But nonetheless, it is a result. And you, it's hard to talk about this game, Ollie, without talking about the other game, given the final fixtures on match day six. But it is a result which which really sets us up for a grandstand finish in terms of next week. I mean, Sarah Patenio aren't going to gift the same gifts that Guaira did for America de Cali this week. I mean... Carlos Ol says between the sticks, he, the second America de Cali goal is a flap and flounder at the ball inside the 18-yard box. And I think you could put the third one down as an own goal because he almost makes a save that scoops it in as his near post with his legs. I mean, I know it's on target and everything, but it, it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking goalkeeping. It's, and I feel sorry for them because they're so out of their depth and it's it's hard and life is made so much harder when things like that happen to you and it... It doesn't look good on them as a football team. It's not been like a great... It's not like Rentistas, who four out of the five games so far, you'd say they've put in a great account of themselves in this competition. Guaira, you wouldn't argue that for... You'd argue that maybe for one of their five games so far. And <laughs> this was not that one. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm expecting a birth into the Sudamericana next year if they're lucky, and Man. then we might not see them in common ball competitions for a few years. <laughs> okay. I mean, which sounds brutal, but it does set us up wonderfully with this encounter of America de Cali against Sarah Patenio to finish off the group stage. And, and the two-goal margin of victory is so important then for America de Cali as well because it puts them only one goal off Sarah Patenio. So then it becomes, it's, it's like a winner takes all. We're, we're not is, even bringing yeah. goal difference into it. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. So it's a, it's a shootout for who goes through uh, behind Atletico Mineiro who've already qualified in that group. And what about the mentality shift as well? You know, with, with, with how those two results played out to create this situation. I mean, that, that's got to play in the minds of, of both groups of players, you would have thought. Like the Sarah Portenia players walk out of the pitch thinking this should be done, shouldn't it? Yeah, and if you're America to Cali, you think, God, there is some deity shining down on us. <laughs> Look at all the mistakes these guys are making. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it could be a, a, a nasty week to try and reinvigorate Sarah Portenio for what's coming next week, for sure. Should we, Mr. Wilson, go through the give a little preview then for match day six in terms of possible permutations? Yeah, let's. I mean, Group A we don't need to touch on because Palmeiras, Defensa Eus, this year are through. Does it matter who gets the Combo Ball Sudamericana spot? Uh, not so much. Let, let's. I would say let's talk about top twos. Sure. We're but not, this. But it would be nice to see IDB in the Sudamericana. Yeah, and and Ollie, yeah. Ollie Wilson's trying to play it cool now, but he did. You absolutely know that he desperately wants IDV in the Sudamericana. You want to see More, them? Oh yeah, definitely. Win two I want to see them go three years. Yeah, I want to see them go again, a hundred percent. They won't if they come up against Gremio because that's a whole different kettle of fish. And okay. uh, yeah, have a quick listen to the supplementary Super. podcast if you want to hear about that. But yeah, okay. Um, so so Palmeiras and Defensa Justicia safely through Ollie. Um, both, yeah. Let, let, let's go on to Group B then. Um, well, no side has yet qualified. As it stands after match day five, Internacional have nine points. Deportivo Tachira have nine points. Always Ready have six. And Olympia have six. And on match day six, Olympia are at home against Deportivo Tachira. And Inter are at home against Always Ready. Um, Inter home against Always Ready, first of all. You'd really, really fancy... Inter will be barred disaster. Inter are going to be okay. Right. You would expect that to be a pasting, because Inter on home soil this in this tournament have been very good. Mm. We we spoke about you know what ten goals in two games. Mm-hmm. So you would expect that that's I don't want to say it, but that's three points that should be in the bag. So you can almost count out always ready. And then I don't think they get a win. Okay, if that happens, but then Olympia needs like a six-goal swing at home against Deportivo Tachira, so they'd need to win three-nil. Not impossible. But you could see that. You could definitely see that because Deportivo Tachira away from home yeah. haven't been a good side at all in this competition. Mm. It, again, I think I've said it a couple of times, but you know, chalk and cheese in terms of how they are at home and away in the in the Libertadores. Well, they lost 4-0 away at Inter, lost 2-0 at Always Ready. Yeah, it, it's 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 within the realms. And Olympia... Average those out, comes into <laughs> yeah. 3-0. Perfect. And Olympia haven't been good at all, I don't think. I know they've won a couple of games, but I haven't, haven't been particularly impressed by them. So for them, on home soil, 3-0 is a big ask, but gives them a chance. This is obviously assuming that Inter did the business. Do you see the, um, the grand finish to a 
to a career of a near forty year old man with a with a hat trick. <laughs> Roque Santa Cruz Roque, yeah. with a blast from the past. Um no. Comes on at half time, back to second half hat trick. Not for me. <laughs> Love to see. You don't it. believe in the magic of Love the lip to see it. <laughs> Yeah. If Enzo Perez can't even keep a clean sheet, mate, then they're nothing. Right, group <laughs> Group C. Barcelona already qualified. I mean, isn't it just fantastic to have a non-Argian Brazilian side already through one uh, one one mm. game to go? And also a side that I, you know, I don't think Barcelona are going to go on to win it, but at least at least there's enough, as we discussed earlier, in this Barcelona side for you to think if they got a lucky draw in the last sixteen, and if they could get fans back in the in the ground, maybe in the last eight or semi, who knows? So Barcelona have qualified in Group C. Here's where it gets interesting. As it stands, Boca Juniors have seven points, goal difference plus one. Santos, six points, goal difference plus one. The strongest, six points, um, goal difference minus seven. The final two games, match day six, Boca Juniors, home against the strongest, at La Bombonera, and Barcelona, home against Santos. Now, Barcelona have already qualified, so would they rest a few? Ooh, this is... Okay, on paper, Boca qualify. Yeah, comfortably. Without a doubt. But it's just something, man, that tells me. Barcelona, they've gone through. And, you know, does it matter? Barcelona have gone through. They're quite, so I think they, they could rest and rotate. Santos have been disappointing. But I don't think it's impossible that Santos win there. And Boca, I just, it's just hard to back Boca at the moment. I haven't scored in three games in the Libertadores. I... Like Mate, the strongest have conceded nine and not scored away from home in this in the Libertadores so far. I don't think they're going to do it. Obviously, <laughs> like I don't. It, no, no chance they even scrap for a draw against this bad Boca side. I I would love it to be exciting. I would love it for it to be nil nil going into the last ten minutes and Santos are one nil up against Barcelona. And if I'm Barcelona fan, if I'm a Barcelona player, I probably don't want to let Boca into the knockout stages. I would much rather fancy my chances against Santos down the line as opposed to a Boca Juniors in the knockout stage. Boca have scored three goals. <laughs> They've scored three. Boca, the great Boca Juniors scored three goals in five <laughs> games. Two from Vigia yeah. and one from Teva. Okay, okay. Let, let, me, let me put it the other way. I'm going to give you kind of a, a, a betting... Okay, let's say whatever happens, Ollie. If you then take whatever happens, whatever happens on match day six, we then take away any goals scored by either Tevez or Vija, and we recalculate the group. Like if Tevez and Vija don't score, do you Does then include assists as well from those two? No, they're allowed to assist. Okay, just go. Sorry. I just, I just have no idea where goals are coming from in that side. Absolutely yeah. no idea. Apart from Vija, I, I, I just don't see it. So. I, I, Boca will go through. Of course they will. Now, do you not think, though, as well, from what we had with River this week, and obviously that was mad, that was absolutely insane, but they are in the same city. Like, do you not think there is a chance... Argentina's struggling with COVID outbreaks. Going into match day six, if I'm an Argentinian side that hasn't sorted out where I'm finishing in the group, aka Boca, I would be a little worried and have everybody wrapped in kind of cotton wool, I stay home. You you're all in hyperventilation tents and everything like that. Like, because if you get an outbreak, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a tent in the giant room. brown bag. 
that stops you from hyperventilating yeah um yeah, yeah i mean well, yeah i mean Ollie, but i think well first of all you should say that i think argentina as a nation's gone into a 10 day nine 10 day lockdown happens um, tonight happens tonight record, right friday night at okay. 12 uh, oh, 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 and goes. as we know like you know you should everyone should be very aware of the fact globally that when you hear your government has announced a nine day lockdown that means you know a 90 day lockdown basically (laughs) yeah 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 you know wave goodbye to a few people for a few months so yeah so argentina as a nation's under lockdown yeah i mean isn't that that aren't the players trying to be careful anyway ollie yeah i know know, like i mean you you've you've seen with river i would i would have thought out of the two sides in argentina Mm. of boca not the two sides but out of those two sides boca and river you would have thought Gachado would have more of a, I don't know why, but like a tight grip. Although Miguel Angel Russo is older and therefore probably more fearful of contracting it. So a bit more worried about players. I don't know. I think it's just another thing. If you start getting reports of, you know, positive tests coming out of Boca in the next few days, you would be as a Boca fan Mm. so panicked about that <laughs> i was just gonna make a joke about franco soldano but i won't like <laughs> yeah i know of course they yeah i mean let, let, let's see what happens with that ollie but um yeah, like, yeah. bocker are gonna be fine yeah do you want to see honestly, them go out like we're complete neutrals like, i don't care either way so what do i mean yeah i mean part of me kind of does as a as a wake-up call for the club sure. more than anything else uh, oh god yeah we can't live off former glories which we have been for so long and we need to actually we've got this defense we need to bring in a attacking presence <laughs> it might By be a, a wake stri- up <laughs> yeah it's interesting because do you think that in some ways Boca have just about done enough the last two years that means that they two haven't had to appearances. yeah yeah, yeah, okay. yeah but I mean great. for Boca that's just about enough I mean in terms of quality in the squad to make them think oh, okay maybe there's nothing really seriously wrong we don't concede many goals we still got this player and that player and Maybe we'll be okay. Whereas being knocked out of the group stages, I think, Ollie, would see the kind of overhaul that maybe they need because they're not winning, in my opinion, they're not winning the Libertadores with this group of players. So yeah, they need a more attacking manager. They need, they need big change. I don't think I'm being too harsh. I'm just I'm just holding Boca to the standards that they themselves would hold them to, right? That themselves mm, do. No, and I think, look, I think we both thought after the hefty defeat that Santos put on them in Brazil, that that would be the wake-up call. Because you can be a great defence, but if you've got no rebuttal for a great attack, if they do get the better of you in that one game, then the pooch, you've screwed it. So that wasn't enough. So maybe dropping out of the Libertadores at the group stage will be enough to be the wake-up call. Then you start maybe putting asterisks in, things like COVID and changes to all the Argentinian football schedule that happens every single year anyway and things like that. And... You know, they had the Super Classico last week, which may account for why they were tired this week sure. and didn't get the result they needed and all that kind of stuff. There's always an excuse with Boca Juniors. That's yeah. the trouble. Do you think COVID's the new La Paz in terms of excuses on... on the oh, well, we were hit by COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You've got to take in South American football at the moment. Altitude and COVID yeah, are the yeah. two the two big extremes. Two biggies. Um, all right, Group D. This is really interesting, Ollie. I think, going into match day six so as it stands river plates have nine points fluminense have eight points junior have six points forget about santa fe they have just two the final round of fixtures then river host fluminense at the monumental and santa fe are at home against junior now 
you got to believe, Ollie, that Junior will get all three points, albeit away from home at Santa Fe. So that would put Junior on nine points in the group. Um, obviously, then goal difference starts to come into play, and there's lots of other, you know, there's lots of other possibilities. Let's say, but for River, if River lose, I think they're out. Well, if Junior win and River lose, they'll be level on goal difference if it's by a one goal margin each. Because River on plus two at the moment, Junior on plus one uh, mm-hmm. on zero, so then they'll go to one each. So it doesn't take a much of a sway in either of those games for River to be in trouble. If they lose 2-0 to Fluminense, they're in a lot of trouble if Junior get the job done. Junior, junior, have scored, junior have scored in every away game so far. They've just won at Fluminense. Its confidence will be sky high. Santa Fe, have they got much to play for? No, nothing at all at this point. It's Junior's okay, kind so- of for the taking. So it's all down to River against Fluminense of who wants to go through. Yeah, so if we let's just assume that Junior will win two or three nil in their game, right? Which I think is a fair assumption at this stage. So then you're saying that a win or a draw for River takes them through, but a win for Fluminense will take them through. Who's in bet against that, mate? Who's in more danger of going out, River or Boca? Boca. Oh God, no! Yeah, damn it. Uh... very even to be mm. honest it's the fact they that both it's the strongest go- actually that you would imagine river are in more danger but i also have more confidence in river getting it done whereas i could imagine a Boca cataclysmic fail against a side like the strongest and end up falling short somehow <laughs> yeah so you have more faith in river but they're in a far more tricky situation because they're playing a good side yeah. a, a oh, oh, very yeah. good side and also you know the players that are out with covid ollie it's not like they're just automatically straight back in yeah (sighs) Enzo Perez again (laughs) in the posts no subs well hopefully he can give a fucking clean sheet this time and uh... (laughs) (laughs) well it's gonna be I mean it's gonna be really um, interesting listen I think River are gonna get it done because Gachado finds a way Group E so you think Junior go through over Fluminense then I don't think Fluminense beat River at the Monumental no I could imagine Junior bottling it because of what we've seen in the last two years. Yeah, but as you say, they're coming off the back of a win in Brazil against Fluminense. Santa Fe have nothing to play for. I mean, that would be a disaster. You know, if imagine if Fluminense beat River and Junior couldn't get it done themselves. Yeah. <sighs> Group E. Uh, well, <laughs> Racing and Sao Paulo are through. So yeah, so well yeah, Junior win and they're in. It doesn't matter what happens in the other game, is it? The only way that no, River or if, Fluminense can both go through is if Junior draw. If it, Junior win, if Junior win, there are nine points, mate. If Junior if, win one nil, there are nine points with a plus one goal difference, right? But and, if Fluminense beat River, River will be at least on plus one or less. But what about if they draw? So, well, if they draw, then they'll have nine points. Yeah, and Fluminense and, will have nine points. And Fluminense, so they'll be level at plus one on goal difference. And then does and it, then go, it go, go down to head to head? Or goal scored? Yeah. Oh bugger! We should have <laughs> should have investigated this more. I mean, it feels like Junior. If they're in, they're in. And if they win, they will have. Yeah. 
they need to ensure they score more one more than Fluminense and win. So Fluminense with a 2-2 draw would go through if Junior only won 1-0 or 2-0. God, that's wild. Mm. That's All right. wild. It- Either way, I think Junior will go and win 2 3 nil, and they, they qualify <laughs> yeah. and it's all on River Fluminense, but we'll see. Fair enough, yeah. Group E, Racing and Sao Paulo are through. Um, Sporting Cristal and, and Rentistas, we'll have to see what happens there. Sporting Cristal currently in third position in the group and you'd, you'd kind of fancy them to 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 do it. Sporting Cristal away at Sao Paulo and Rentistas away at Racing on match day six. Group F, Oli. Argentinos Juniors, of course, already through. Four wins from five games. Second spot in the group is up for grabs. So Universidad Católica currently on six points. Atletico Nacional on five and Nacional on five. I don't quite know how the Uruguayans are still in contention to qualify. Whoever, if they got through, whoever gets them in the last 16. I mean, if they face a Palmeiras or a, um, or a Flamengo, you know, they could be not for five or six. So match day six is Nacional at home against Argentinos Juniors, who have nothing to play for. And Universidad Católica home against Atletico Nacional. What's going to happen, Mr. Wilson? So if Católica and Atletico Nacional play out a draw and Nacional win, they'll be through. That's the way that Nacional get through this because their goal difference of minus three compared to Atletico Nacional is minus one. If they both win, I wouldn't imagine Nacional making up the two goal goal difference on that. So they'll both be on eight points. If Catecolica win, they'll be on nine okay, points. Okay, so they need a draw. Nacional. So they need a draw, which you could see Catolica and Atletico Nacional playing out in their desperation as they lock horns thinking, right, one, we have to win to ensure we're going through. It could play very easily into Nacional's hands. And when I was after this week's games and was looking at how the group tables were looking, I was so annoyed because as you say, how on earth are they still in contention? They are obviously the Guayeras, uh, Guayeras, sorry, and and other sides have have been poor. There have been some really poor teams, but I would rather see a Rentistas with an opportunity to get through or a Sporting Cristal with an opportunity to get through than see this dullard from Uruguay potentially in the knockout stages again. <laughs> <laughs> like, just. Yeah. provides nothing at yeah, least yeah, like yeah, you can I get agree. excited by a catolica youngster or two or atletico sure. nacional with like a return to prowess and stuff for colombian football i i hope i hope somebody wins in that other fixture mm. that's all i want and away from home it's you would say it's it's a tough one for atletico nacional you'd say catolica should do it to be honest mm-hmm. they've got a nice experience of youth and wisdom in that squad they haven't played the best football but at times they've been quite good to watch so they should go out and get a 1-0 victory on home soil and do enough yeah we we will see group g flamengo and Vélez already safely through and uh yeah bar an absolute Bar a massive sway on match day six, Liga de Quito will will go into this to the Sudamericana, which is actually quite interesting, I think, Oli, for for them competing in that tournament. And Group mm-hmm. H, Atletico Mineiro are through top of the group. Now, Cerro Porteño are second on seven points. America de Cali are third on four points. As we mentioned earlier, we kind of covered this, didn't we? Cerro Porteño home against America de Cali, and what is straight shootout really Cerro just need a draw 
or, or a win, obviously, to, to go through. And a win for America to Cali would, would, would do the job for them. So, yeah, I mean, it's a gift, really, for America to Cali, given the late goal from Keno. You know, we spoke about Atletico Minera snatching it. I don't know, man. I just think maybe America to Cali do it. Yeah, it would be a fun one. Mm. Th- that will probably be one of the... There are a lot of good games to tune into still on match day six, but that will be one to tune into for that feeling of a cup final knife edge. It may not be good to watch in terms of the quality, but it will be that edge of your seat drama that kind of gets us perfectly prepared for the knockout stage yeah. as well, really. Already looking forward to it. Well, if you had, if someone was listening to the pod, Ollie, and they were thinking about watching one match this week, River Fluminense? One for match your enjoyment in of For your enjoyment of... Sp- uh, South American football, I'd say, yeah. River Fluminense. Mm. Uh, to be honest, Defensor Justicia against Independiente del Valle should be a fun <laughs> one to watch. Yeah. Oh, it's a that, huge shame that there's nothing on that, really. I mean, apart from the Sudamericana place. Except for the Sudamericana, yeah. yeah. And Palmeiras could put out a dodgy side and Universitario could be, could be boys with that.